And I invite you to turn to Exodus 15, starting in verse 21. Thank you so much, Alice. You know, Alice began to memorize the text for today uh, back in Labor Day weekend. And uh, so, so appreciate the ministry of the memorized word of God. It has real power. So when our little girls entered their pre-K program, they encountered a force of nature known as Miss Slotnick. <laughs> Miss Slotnick is a friend of mine. Her name is Cheryl. She's here today. And she's given me permission to testify. <laughs> Each year, dozens of three-year-olds enters the world of Miss Slotnick. They come into her classroom with all of the squirrely habits that you would expect three-year-olds to have, like slapping and punching <laughs> and biting, uh, failure to listen to or follow instructions, stockpiling their favorite toys and guarding them fiercely, and then just being generally untrained you know, for, for a life of learning. Now, the thing is, before uh, these three-year-olds enter kindergarten two years later, they have truly become global citizens. Um, for instance, they find their seat and read a book quietly. They perform their classroom jobs with a sense of dignity, passing out papers and holding the door. Just this week, Mona taught us all how to raise our hands at dinner, so we stop interrupting one another. <laughs> In the presence of Miss Slotnick, our little girls and many other preschoolers have become different kinds of people. Uh, and that's because Cheryl has given them a new standard and also new resources to meet that standard. Now, in all honesty, I and perhaps you are still squirrely in many ways, just better at hiding it than three-year-olds. Uh, we still bite and punch and occasionally kick, just verbally and behind people's backs. We fail to follow instructions, not because we didn't hear God, but we chose to ignore him. We stockpile and guard our favorite toys, like cash and personal freedom. And God is inviting us to enter his classroom. And he's keenly interested that we become like him, that we learn to live like him, that we learn to love like him. He has a vision for our life that we would become different kinds of people. In fact, he, he needs to train us to become who we already are, God's sons and daughters. He wants to train us all. As the writer of Hebrews says, God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. The living God, the burning bush, the one who says, I am who I am, wants you to share in his holiness. He wants me to share in his holiness. That's what God is after. He's after deep character change. He doesn't want lip service from people. He doesn't want us to pray some prayer for a long off future. He wants us to live a different kind of life as different people. So this, this morning, we're looking at some ways that God trains his people, three specific ways from the text that Alice read for us from, from our own salvation history, ways he wants to train us. And it's just good at the very outset to ask, you know what, what part of me really wants this? Like, is there a part of you that, as we walk through the text, is like eager to grow, ready, ready to become God's daughter, ready to become even more of God's son, ready to become his people? 
And then also, man, what part of my heart's getting triggered right now? What part of me is getting hard and resistant and doesn't want this vision at all? So I'm doing that. I invite you to, to have the same questions. What part of me wants this? What part of me doesn't want this? And then the whole time, we've just got to be praying, come Holy Spirit, okay? Come Holy Spirit, because there's no way apart from the grace of God, the living waters that flow for us to become God's daughters and sons. So let's all pray that we'd be, like Psalm 95 says, just saved from the hardness of heart, which we're all prone to. All right, so uh, let's read this text. Now, we're not going to read the whole thing. Thank you, Alice. You did that for us. <laughs> just, just with a sense of openness. For the sake of our own maturity, open your heart and mind to the teaching and also the training to which it points. So three, three ways God wants to train us to be his children. First way is God uh, trains us, his children, to concentrate on his voice more than we complain with our own. God wants to train us to, to concentrate very carefully on his voice more than we complain with our own. We find the Israelites en route to the promised land, free from Egyptian slavery. They've been delivered in an incredible miracle, actually a series of miracles. And along the way, there's another miracle that's needed because they become incredibly thirsty. Now, please don't get up and get a drink of water. I know this is going to make you thirsty, but let's read Exodus 15, verse 22. Then Moses made Israel <clears throat> set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. One thing we got to remember about this is that the pillar of cloud and fire, which is God's presence among them, is still leading them. Just like God led them to the precipice of the Red Sea, and they were like, is this really God's leadership in our life? And yeah, it was. It was God's leadership that led them to the precipice of the Red Sea. And then they, they found out along the way, hey, God's going to provide for us. The same God that got us in is going to get us out. Same pillar, same cloud uh, led them to this wilderness where for three days they had no water. And they didn't die. That's probably slightly miraculous. And, um, but they needed another miracle. They needed God to provide for them. They're dehydrated. And the thing is, like, if we were in this, like, if you had gone three days with no hydration, it's very likely that you would complain and that I would complain. This is what we do when our needs aren't met. What do you do when you get thirsty or hungry? Uh, what do you do when you're feeling like you're lacking support and care? What do you do when, uh, when, when you don't get what you want or what you need or what you feel like you need, even if it's time for yourself? When our needs are not being met, our instinctive response is to complain to the complaint department, right? To complain to the complaint department. And who's the complaint department? Anyone who will listen. <laughs> Even if the only people that will listen are the people on Twitter who aren't really listening to us, we'll still find some complaint department to complain to. Semi-responsible Agents, basically. Uh, people who can listen to us lodge our grievances. So in this case, it was, it was Moses. Verse 23 of Exodus 15, when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. Verse 24, and the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? 
Now, the ESV translations is a little mild on this point. It's more like, what are we supposed to drink now, Moses? There wasn't any water, okay? And now there's just bitter water. Water, water everywhere, not a drop to drink. Um, it's a similar question. They asked a similar question. You don't need to turn there, but the very, very end of the text, Exodus 17, 7, um, says this, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? One scholar says that this is like uh, going to inside the kitchen where your mom's making dinner and going over to the pot, lifting up the lid and kind of going, are you ever going to make dinner for us or what? It's just a sour question, like a bitter, resentful question. Are you, is the Lord among us or not? Are you ever going to provide for us? This is our instinctive response. When, we, when our needs aren't met, we turn to complaining, don't we? The Lord led them to a thirsty place on purpose. He wanted to see what would come to the surface. What comes up to the surface when our needs aren't met? That's what's inside our heart. That's the part of us that needs training. You know what I'm talking about? When stuff comes up from the deep and we start complaining, that's what's inside. The toothpaste is coming out of the, of the, of the tube. And now we know what's in our heart. Sometimes that's what it takes. God wants to know what's in your heart, not because he wants to condemn you, but he wants you to become his children, not on the surface, but deep. We're deep people. We have deep souls. <clears throat> and the only way to get to the depths is through testing. It turns out that, like us, the Israelites were quick to complain with their voice, but slow to concentrate on the Lord's voice. And like us, they needed an act of grace from God if they were going to listen. Their souls needed living waters. They needed to be refreshed. At the very depths of their complaint, they needed refreshment. And so, verse 25, uh, Moses cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, or otherwise could be translated a tree, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Here we have a, what I believe to be, what other scholars to be, a prefigurement of the grace of God in the cross of Christ. That in the cross of Christ, a, a tree was, uh, was, was a place where God's grace became visible. Jesus Christ in his death and a resurrection was a source of grace that turns our bitter waters sweet. All the bitterness in our soul and the bitterness in our life, the great evil, the greatest evil even, that could be done on earth, by the grace of God can be made sweet and can refresh our souls with the living water. The thing is that you or I in our own power can't concentrate on the voice of the Lord. We can't stop complaining. Our sin's too great. Our sadness is too deep, and we need the grace of God. You know what the Israelites did? After the, the grace of God was thrown into the bitter waters, they drank deeply, and they were refreshed. And once they were refreshed by the grace of God that was made visible to them and, and, and made tangible to them, you know what they could do now? Now they could listen. Uh, they could listen, and they could learn. So... Uh, the end of verse 25 says this. Then the, uh, Exodus 15, 5, uh, 25b. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them saying, verse 26, if you will diligently listen 
to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ears to his commands and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. I am the Lord your healer. The Egyptians um, were uh, an example here of like the hard-hearted when God speaks and when God intervenes, when, when he's giving instruction and warning. The Egyptians are a model of what not to do. They were hardened. And we can be hardened too. We can be like the hard soil that the seeds of the word of God bounce off because we're so mad, we're so bitter, uh, and we're just not open to the voice of God. But what he says is that if that happens to you, then you'll have to learn the hard way like the Egyptians learned. Wise people listen to the voice of, of the Lord, learn from it, and adjust. Hardened people, uh, like the Egyptians, don't listen to the voice of the Lord. They don't respond to words, so they can only, res- they can only learn from actions. It has to get painful for them to learn hard lessons about, uh, about, about God. God. God wants to teach you. Don't be like the Egyptians. Don't harden your heart. Listen diligently to the voice of the Lord. Uh, When we listen diligently to the voice of the Lord, we become people of wisdom. We become people of gratitude. This is what it's like to be God's children. When you're sitting at the dinner table with the Lord and he's giving you his word, even when your needs aren't met, you become people who learn and who trust This is what it means to become God's children. When our needs aren't met, we open the word of God and say, speak, O Lord, your your daughter is listening. Speak, O Lord, your son is listening. This is training to be children of God. We can learn lessons from the voice of the Lord that we could not otherwise learn when all of our needs are met. You know this, I know this. When we're going through trial, um, our, our brains and our souls are processing information about what this means. We need to know what this means. And the only true way to know what this truly means is for us to concentrate attentively to what the word of the Lord has to say about our trial that we're facing. And God will speak life-giving words over our situation. He will refresh our souls with his living water. That's the effect of his voice when we open our souls to what he has to say. He will refresh our spirits, and he will also instruct us in the way we are to go. So we're in training. All of us, we've got penchant uh, to complain when our needs aren't met. But God is training us to less and less complain and more and more attune to and listen to his voice, to concentrate on his voice more than we complain with our own. But also, God uh, trains us, secondly, to receive from his hand rather than hoard with our own. God trains us to receive from his hands more than we hoard with our own. I wonder if you've ever watched children surrounding an exploding pinata. Have you ever seen this sight? It's quite a sight to behold. What do they do when the, um, when the pinata explodes? <laughs> so good. 
<laughs> that politely take turns. Indeed. Indeed. In the movies, they do. Yes. The big kids shoulder in there, and they stuff their pockets in pillowcases. Uh, God has so much grace in his hands to give us. But we get a lot like those children around the exploding pinata. We're, we're ready to, whatever we grab, to hold on to and to stuff and to hoard. And we have no idea the good things God has. God is so gracious. Do you know how generous the living God is? Do you know how generous he is? There's no way to know how generous he is unless we stop hoarding with the hands that we have. Um, so God wanted to rain bread from heaven every day for as long as it takes for the people of Israel to learn how loving he is and how generous he is. But what they decided to do, especially at first, was to, was to clutch and to hoard with their hand. So if you look with me in Exodus 16, verse 4, Exodus 16, verse 4. <clears throat> Not 17, verse 4, 16, verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my, way, walk in my law or not. Now the Israelites here have been, they've been complaining about the good old days when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full in Egypt. So God provided a flaky, sweet, tasty meal for them every morning. Um, everyone was to get out of bed, um, so it's gonna melt if you don't get out of bed. So number, you need to get out of bed, and then you need to go out and you need to gather the, um, the, the manna, which literally means, what is it? Yeah, it's what is it, so they call, called it manna, you need to go out and you need to gather an omer of what is it every morning. And now an omer is, I did some calculations this week, and an omer is about two cereal boxes worth of what is it. So it's like going to Costco, you get the two-pack, all right, of what is it, and you gather it, and, um, and like the reading says, the people who gathered a lot had, had enough, they didn't, have, they didn't have a lot, they had just what they needed. The people who gathered just a little bit, maybe maybe... Like the smaller kids around the pinata, they only got like, you know, all the leftover candy. Um, you know, if you gathered a little bit, you had an Elmer. Everyone got the two-pack, and they had enough to eat. And you could boil it, and you could bake it. It was uh, sweet and tasty and, and nourishing. So Exodus 16, verse 17, and the people did so. They gathered some more, some less, but when they measured it with an Omer, Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. Don't stockpile. Don't hoard. Um, there's going to be enough for you tomorrow. This is training. How, how do they know that the Lord's good for it? This is training. Every day you get up, every day you receive what the Lord's provided, and every night you don't, you don't stockpile. But the thing is, if you have lived your whole life in Egypt and all you could do is survive under Pharaoh, how counterintuitive would this be to take on this yoke of training? 
to not hoard, but to receive, receive, receive. Don't clutch. This would have been so hard. And so it makes sense that in verse 20, they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. This is the fallout. God's gifts become idols, and idols turn on us. Idols turn, and then they turn on us, and become, they become imprisoning, uh, stinking things that, that, that take away from our dignity. They betray us. They don't treat us like children. They treat us like slaves. A lot of us experience temptation to hoard our money. Um, and this is not new to us. This is an age-old temptation. It's a temptation. And so all of us, in regards to our money, have an opportunity to uh, learn the grace of God. The thing about money is it's a very clear-cut diagnostic. You can leave this service today, look at your credit card statement, checkbook. No one has a checkbook anymore. Look online at your bank account statement, and you can be like, oh, that's where my money goes. That's what I care about. It's really um, somewhat of a clear-cut diagnostic as to what are we learning under the grace of God, and do we need more grace to not hoard? The heart of the call to be generous with our money is, is trusting the Father, to, to be like the Israelites, to receive, to receive, to not hoard, but to receive. Um, I'll tell you a story about my own life. Nine years ago, I've talked about we moved to D.C., and it was a, a tough transition for us financially. <clears throat> I got a temp job, uh, I could, all I could find in, in D.C., and it was, I forget exactly how much my hourly wage was. It was somewhere around $12 an hour, $14 an hour. At the time, we had two kids. We were living in, in, in D.C. It's not a um, uh, cheap place to live. And, uh, you know, we were tested with that. Will, will we continue to, to tie our conviction of tithing 10% of our income? Would we keep doing that? Would we keep doing another thing we felt called to, host people around our table, even though every meal was, was costly? And, and so L Laura and I were, were tested, even though that meant that our emergency fund, which thankfully we had built up before we moved, was every month going down. And it was a spiritual discipline that kept us getting, you know, sleeping in the tent. We didn't live in a tent. <coughs> well, we lived in an apartment um, uh, that had tent-like qualities. <laughs> but <clears throat> how would God provide? <laughs> Have you ever wondered that? How is God going to provide this month? Uh, and so... Um, you know what? All our needs were met. And uh, for us, our manna was lentils. The thing is, lentils are very inexpensive. And you can host people and serve them lentils, and they'll be grateful. <laughs> God provided medical care and, and clothes for our little boys and uh, even bus fares. And something happened the following April, and uh, it was when it was time to do taxes. Laura and I went to a tax clinic free tax clinic. Some local accountants were just for the community putting on a free tax clinic for people. And uh, we definitely fell in the bracket that they had. And, um, you know, I'll tell you what, we shut the place down because um, our because we had moved and had a baby. Our situation was so complicated that all the accountants were working on our <laughs> account at the end of the night. And uh, by the end, uh, the return that we got uh, was it totally replenished our emergency fund. Isn't that amazing? We would have never 
had an experience of the grace of God, how he could provide, uh, unless we had kind of let go a little bit. God's heart for us wasn't to grab from us. He wanted to train us to become his children. We're still in training. God can be trusted. And he wants us to know that, not as a head thing, but deep in our souls. Don't you want to know that? I want to know that. I want to know that even more than I know it now. I've got a long way to go. God is so good. So let's learn from him together. He trains us to concentrate on his voice more than our own. He trains us to receive from his hand more than clutching with our own. Finally, he invites us as his children, and this is one of the best news we could ever hear, to exchange our hustle for his rest. Our hustle, which is so deep in us, for his rest. Some of you remember the, uh, the original Rocky, where Rocky says to Adrian, Adrian wants to know, why are you doing this? Why, why do you want to box, um, who was it, Creed? Was it Creed? Why, Apollo? I don't remember. It was a tough boxer, okay? Because he said, if I go the distance with Creed or Apollo, I'll know that I wasn't just, uh, that I weren't just another bum from the neighborhood. I'll know I wasn't just another bum from the neighborhood. You know, one preacher, I've heard him talk about the approaching bumness that we all feel inside, that we're afraid of. And we need to go the distance with whoever Apollo or Creed is in our own life so that we know that we're not just another bum from the neighborhood. That's what causes us to hustle so hard. So that we know our lives aren't just average. We've proved ourselves. And so we hustle hard and we act like slaves when in fact we're daughters and sons. That when in fact we're children of the most high and that we have nothing to prove. Um, So on the sixth day, God says, get two omers. You get a two, two pack of what is it, and that way you will have enough left over for the Sabbath, because I want you to rest. They never got to do that with Pharaoh. Pharaoh's like, no, every day you're making bricks for me. Every day you're another bum, and you need to make the bricks, and there's no rest for you. You're lazy. Get back to work. That's what Pharaoh said, almost exactly. And the living God says, no, you're my kid, and I love you, and you're going to rest and I'm going to teach you how to rest. I'm going to teach you how to take a real rest. Like the message translates Matthew 11. I'm going to teach you, take on my yoke. It's light, it's easy. And for a day, you're going to learn that you have nothing to prove. You have a day every week to learn that you're not just another bum from the neighborhood, that I love you and I've called you by name in your mind. And don't you want to learn that? Some of them didn't, you know, they didn't like that training. And so they went out on the seventh day and they're like, hustling and, and, and taking some more manna. And, and uh, Moses was angry with them. Can we blame him? Come on, people. Why don't you learn how to take a real rest? You know, this is another thing that doesn't lie. How do you use your time? Do you ever rest? Do you ever turn this thing off? Do you ever, um, do you ever not let yourself to not be useful in life? I want to invite you to follow Jesus by taking a rest. Take a Sabbath every week. 
Turn your phone off. Turn your email off. Stop meeting people's obligations. Sabbath means stop. Stop it. I've given you a two-pack of what is it, so stop it. God is so serious about us taking a rest because when we exchange our hustle for his rest, it gives us an opportunity to be in the presence of his grace and to realize that we have nothing to prove. What happens when uh, the three-year-olds enter kindergarten fully trained? It's an amazing thing. They, be, they, be, they become... Um, you know, in fact, my daughter has a name. You know what that name is? Little Slotnik. <laughs> Little Slotnik. Little Miss Slotnik. And that is because she has absorbed the qualities and the virtues of my friend Cheryl Slotnik. What happens when we spend time training under the living God? We become the image bearers that we were called to be. We become little Christs. We become full of the glory of God. How Hungry and thirsty is our world for people who are filled with the grace of God. People are so hungry and thirsty, but the only way they'll experience God's grace is if you receive it first. I love the verse uh, Exodus 16.30. The people rested on the seventh day. What part of you wants this? What part of you resists this? There are real issues that keep us from God's training. But Psalm 95 urges us, today, listen to the voice of God. Don't harden your hearts. And all of us need the grace of God made possible in Jesus Christ so that we can greet deeply from the living waters, hear God's voice afresh, and follow him where he's asking us to go and to become the kind of people he's calling us to be. To that end, I invite you to pray with me. <clears throat> Come, Holy Spirit, soften our hardened hearts. Give us the grace of Jesus to become your children. Put that easy yoke on us. Take the burden of slavery off of us. Open our hands to receive from your grace. Let us trust you with our time. Let us trust you with our money. Let us trust you with our life. We pray, Lord, that all of this would be possible by the grace of Jesus. So come, Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.